Welcome into another episode of the Across Bucket Podcast. I am Tanner Dimling here as always with y'all on Sunday afternoon. It is November 21st, but we have got a lot to talk about. It's Sunday, so we'll end things off with a mailbag. Again, thanks to everyone who sent in those questions over the past week. But, uh, man, this week, this past week, has been a pretty busy one in terms of lacrosse news, especially on the schedule release front. But we're not going to start there. We, we, we had five schedules released up to, I think, 13 programs, D1 programs, with their schedules out at this point in time, expecting more to come. Um, maybe not this, maybe not as many this week with Thanksgiving, but certainly as we, uh, usually as the, uh, the Christmas trees start to come out, um, the schedules start to just, the floodgates open, um, is what it seems like. So, um, but we're, we're not going to start this episode schedule-wise news. We got to start this episode, unfortunately, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where Bryce Clay, attackman, senior attackman, has been ruled out for the 2022 season due to an ACL tear suffered this fall. Inside lacrosse, first to report on that um, Thursday, I believe it was, um, and this was a pretty big blow to a Michigan team that uh, pretty optimistic coming into uh, the 2022 season. Obviously, got hammered uh, with scheduling last year. Had to go through that gauntlet that was uh, the Big Ten schedule, but showed some real promise, had some good wins. Obviously, um, getting that first ever postseason win as uh, the Big Ten tournament was expanded, and I believe they're going to do that same um, same form, format this year as well where everyone makes it um, in the Big Ten tournament. So uh, Michigan will certainly have a chance to make uh, to make a bigger impact or a big impact again this year on the lacrosse field. Uh, but Bryce Clay... Third leading scorer last season. Um, it's a big hit, big hit to them. You know, you still have Josh Zawada and Michael Bame back. Uh, junior Zawada and sophomore Bame, both guys were phenomenal last year. Zawada has been phenomenal the past three years. Um, uh, yeah, past three years at this point. Oh, no, two years at this point. Um coming into his junior season as kind of the face of that Michigan offense. But losing a guy like Bryce Clay, uh, not, 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 not a good sign for this Michigan team, not a good sign for this Michigan offense. You know, they do have those two guys back in Zawada and Bame at the attack spot, as well as numerous midfielders that are also back. Um, according to the inside lacrosse report, um, 
Fleshman, attackman Michael Cohn, uh, has been getting some clock in the fall with the float you know, at, at attack. Avon Old Farms product, uh, Boca Raton, uh, Florida native. I uh, was a top 100 guy coming out of high school. So, um, and look, we've seen the past two years, Josh Zawada, Michael Bame, both stepped in as freshmen, both dominated. You know, not saying it's going to be the same situation because certainly both of those situations were different. But, you know, got a little bit of a history here now over the past two years of freshmen coming in, not just that attack, but on the defensive side of the ball as well, coming in and playing, if not dominating, playing very, very good lacrosse for this Wolverines team. So um, certainly Bryce Clay is a huge, huge loss for this team. And I will mention, he has two years of eligibility left because remember, you got that 2020 year back. So, he's a senior this year, but this wouldn't have counted. Oh, it would have counted, but he would have had one year after this to use if he chooses to do so. So, if he chooses to do so, he could be at Michigan until 23, 24 uh, would be his last year instead of 23. Now, you know, whether that actually happens or not. I don't know, um, and, and we'll see how that plays out. But um, Bryce Clay certainly has two years of eligibility left with the Wolverines. Unfortunately, will miss the entirety of the 2022 season with an ACL tear, leaving a hole in that attack line of Joshua Water, Michael Bame, the other two returners there, Clay, was that third uh, the third leading scorer from a year ago, and that third attackman coming back. You had the entire attack line coming back. A lot of pieces at midfield. A lot of pieces on defense. Kirchhoff and goal. This is, this is a, 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 a promising, a Michigan team that looks very promising heading into 2022. How this loss affects their offense uh, you know, is yet to be seen, uh, but certainly have enough talent around them to fill that hole. Um, you saw them with some injury issues last year um, on offense, was able to fill that hole. I assume that's going to be a similar or uh, the same situation there with Clay out for the entire year, um, You know, as we saw last year with some other guys at Michigan. So same story, um, a similar story, I should say bit of a different situation, um, but we've seen Michigan do it before. They did it last year, and as I mentioned, if you do have to put a freshman in there, you know, there's precedent there of that working, um, putting in a highly rated freshman, um, and it's worked before, so, you know, who's not to say it's not going to work this time as well? Uh, so Bryce Clay, definitely big hit there, but uh, Michigan still... Uh, feel like it's looking looking pretty strong, um, not only offensively, but really just altogether uh, coming into the 2022 season off of what was, you know, a 3-9 year, but 
uh, really showed some promise, especially late in the season um, against, again, a, a, a brutal schedule, uh, Big Ten only. Moving away from uh, <clears throat> some injury news, we move to schedule release season. As we saw five schedules released last week, Bellarmine, Drexel, Binghamton, Delaware, Vermont, all releasing those schedules last week. We're going to start off here with the first of of that bunch to do so, the Bellarmine Knights. Um, you start off. You start off with a, a and and I don't know. I, I ran a bit of a poll on Twitter and Instagram, and it was pretty mixed of the feelings of this. January lacrosse is back. Mercer versus Bellarmine on January 29th. I love it. I love it. I I don't know which y'all's feelings are on it. You can have your own feelings on it. But um I, I personally love January lacrosse. Like I wish everyone, if you could, would start that last weekend in January. I like it. You want to get more games in? Play in January. There's no rule against it. There's no universal start date. There is no universal start date in lacrosse. So, hey, why not play in January? And uh, when you're in the South, I guess you can do so. Um, places like Vermont might not be suitable to do that, but, um, and, you know, some would argue aren't suitable to play in February, but, um, you know, down here and certainly in Georgia, uh, we can play in January. Um, so, uh, Bellarmine will be traveling down to Mercer on January 29th, the first college lacrosse game of the season. Um, and if you remember, that is, you know, same situation happened last year as they played in January. And uh, you had uh, Cam Henry, who was injured, actually streamed the game from his phone because there was no um, no live stream of the game. And, you know, lacrosse fans, we hadn't had lacrosse since the PLL bubble, and you know, we're starved, man. Um, so, uh, you know, God bless Cam Henry for uh, getting, <laughs> getting that done for us last year. Hopefully we have a stream this year, and we don't have to rely on a um, – players Twitter uh, live stream for that game. Some other interesting games here um, against on Bellman's schedule. So, um, you know, they pick up Bryant, Canisius, Detroit, Mercy, Hampton, Marquette, Michigan, and St. Bonaventure. Um, not all, none of those are new opponents per se for Bellman, but haven't played Bryant in a while. Haven't played Canisius in a while. Uh, it's been a few years since they've played Detroit Mosey, from what I um, recall. Hampton obviously took last year off, but I think um, if you look back, I think Bellman and Hampton have played at least twice uh, since Hampton added across. 
Uh, there's a pretty good history there of Marquette and Bellarmine. Uh, Michigan, somewhat of a good history there. St. Bonaventure, I believe they've played once so far. So no, like, you know, new, like, new opponents, but new opponents opposed to what last year's schedule was. They dropped Delaware, which, remember, that was the schedule on the fly type game. Drop Notre Dame, and you drop uh, Richmond there. Uh, so none of those teams on the schedule um, as they were a year ago. Um, some other interesting games here uh, outside of the January matchup with Mercer. You have uh, Jacksonville uh, will come up to Louisville and play. Um, you know, they have played eight times altogether. Jacksonville has the five to three lead over the Knights, um, and and and, and has not won that game since 2016. However, uh, last year you had that first meeting where I believe it was Bellarmine had like half their team out with COVID protocols, um, and so they had no goal. They had one goalie, and you know, really, really uh, skim roster there. And Jacksonville, as as they should have, took full advantage of that. It was a dominating victory. Um, the second game of the season, which was the conference game. Remember, Bellarmine is now in the A-Sun, so they're not SoCon members with Jacksonville or with Mercer anymore. Um, they're still in the same conference as Air Force, though. And that second game against the Dolphins yielded an 8-7 to victory for uh, Jacksonville. And it was a really, really close game. Um, the Dolphins outscored the Knights 3-2 to in the final period. Um, and I want to say it was like a minute left on the clock uh, when, when, when Jacksonville put in that game winner. Bellman had multiple opportunities. Really, Jacksonville had... An opportunity or so, I believe, within the final, uh, you know, fifty some odd seconds uh, to to make it a two point victory, but two goal victory, but uh, get the one goal victory there. So uh, that one will be one certainly that uh, both squads will, you know, be looking to as a non conference matchup. Should be a close one again. Cleveland State, uh, that'll be the A-Sun opener for the Knights. Um, they played them twice last year. The Vikings and Knights did 8-1 to Cleveland State win to begin with, and then 11-4 to Bellarmine win uh, just over a month later. Uh, the one that I would really, really, really circle on this schedule is at Air Force on April 30th. Air Force, you know, really single-handedly left Bellarmine out of the postseason last year, beating them at home 8-6 in a comeback, and then upsetting Richmond in their season finale, which um, put Air Force in over that tiebreaker there. So you can, you know, close game last year, and all that went into that late season. You know, th- th- that is going to be a game where I think both sides get hyped up. And it's the last game of the season in this conference where I expect both of those teams to be fighting 
for playoff spots. Um, and if Air Force doesn't have that number one seed locked up already, you know that's going to be a uh, or, or a postseason both locked up already. Um, you no, know, that's going to be a, certainly a uh, a big one there. Looking at the Drexel schedule, remember Drexel coming off a CAA title, and then they gave Notre Dame quite a fit in the first round of the NCAA tournament, losing just 10-8 to in that game. The Dragons open the season at Penn on February 12th. Which is, uh, you know, as, as far as key games that you can look at from the schedule, certainly one of those. Um, it'll be their first uh, meeting since that 2014 NCAA tournament game where uh, the Dragons upset the Quakers 16-11 to in the first round, um, if you remember that. Um, and the squads have only meeting. This will be the third meeting since 2008. So, uh, you know, cross-town teams, but don't meet too often. Um, should be a very interesting one as Penn, you know, obviously coming back from, not, from playing one game last year, you have Drexel returning a lot of pieces from last UCAA title game. It's going to be an interesting one there. St. Joseph's on Drexel versus St. Joseph's on 3-8, so March 8th. Uh, one of the, I mean, this could really be one of the better mid-major non-conference matchups of the year. As, uh, you know, both these teams will be looking to win the conference title in 2022. St. Joe's, they've got to that title game. They've never won it. Drexel, obviously coming off that title uh, this past season. Um, The two teams didn't play last season as uh, the, 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 the meeting was... Uh, I believe that's the one where the, it was canceled between these two teams. Um, but they've met, uh, with the exception of last year, um, you know, quite a bit, uh, certainly in recent history. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Drexel with a 17-2 series lead, but past couple games between these two squads been pretty close. And then certainly what both bring back should be another good one there. Uh, Drexel and Towson and Drexel and UMass, both in the month of April, are the two biggest CAA uh, games I would circle here for the Dragons. Um, they open CAA play against Towson. Um, you know, Drexel, and this is an interesting history recently between Drexel and Towson. Drexel falls to the Tigers in both the regular season and CAA title game in 2019 before I didn't remember, didn't play in 2020 with the season being canceled uh, in April and March, but they do play twice last season and Drexel uh, gets both wins 12 to 10 um, in the season opener against the Tigers and then um, and, and, and that one was to snap an eight-game losing streak against them 
and then take them down 12 to 11 in the regular season finale. So, um, and really all the games have been, it's been like a two goal differential uh, the past four or uh, three, four meetings between these two squads. So, um, uh, another interesting one there. Certainly, conference uh, game in Towson. You know, looking to get back in the postseason after uh, uh, really a piss poor performance in 2020, and then uh, you know had a had a little bit of a spark in 2021, but ultimately didn't capitalize on it the way uh, that they uh, should have. And we always know the CAA is anything can happen um, in that conference. It seems like so uh, certainly. Any really every single game in that conference, besides maybe a couple um, teams on you know a couple given years, you need to circle. You need to be taken seriously because I mean, if there's one mid-major conference where or one conference in general in college costs where craziness happens, it is the CAA. Um, Drexel closes out the season at UMass. Um, this was one of the only losses that Drexel had last year in the regular season, um, 13 to seven in late March against the Minutemen. And the Minutemen, like they were come, came in the season, one of the most talented rosters and should be again this year in the CAA, but really did not live up to expectations. Drexel, when you look at their schedule from last year, Drexel really. I don't want to say the marquee win, but one of the bigger wins they had. And after that, didn't didn't really do too, too much after that March. Obviously got started late with a lot of uh, you know, protocol issues early on. But, you know, that seemed to hinder them a little bit. Uh, but they got going a bit in late March. Obviously, you beat a really good Drexel team um, who, hey, was dealing with some injury issues of, them, of their own. But... You know, UMass didn't do too much last year. Um, I would expect them to do a lot better this year. I think I mentioned that actually on the last podcast. There was a question of which teams bounce back the best, or which are bounce back teams. And I mentioned UMass is one of them. So uh, Drexel UMass could be a very, very, uh, you know, co- uh, what am I trying to say? Co- cons- uh, Y'all know what I'm trying to say. Um, it could be a very important game. I'll say that at the end of the season there for both teams involved. Moving on here to the America East Conference champions, the Vermont Catamounts, as they also released their schedule this week. Start with a big game at Duke on February 6th. And remember, this is an America East schedule that will not feature Hartford as they've withdrawn from conference play this season. So that one is the only team they dropped. Brown, Canisius, Dartmouth, Duke, Penn State, Providence, UMass, Utah. All new opponents for this year have all played them in the past. Some just weren't able to play last year. Um... You know, I mentioned the Duke game, the Penn State game is another interesting early season matchup for Vermont. Um, we saw what they did against um, 
Maryland last season as they played them in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Lose 17-11 to there, obviously, to a very, very good Maryland team. But we saw really what this Vermont team could do. Returns a pretty sizable amount of their talent. Got a couple offensive guys that do graduate. But outside of that, entire defense is back. Tommy Burke at the faceoff dot is back. And uh, really, that will set up a heck of a faceoff dot battle on March the 5th versus Bryant. Nathan uh, LeBert is back. I believe that's how you pronounce his name there. Um, for Bryant, obviously, with that injury last season, looks like he's coming back. Burke and him went 50-50, uh, practically 50-50. I think it was like 52-51, somewhere like that, against each other last season. Um, and, you know, the Catamounts, they opened the season on the road last season, falling to the Bulldogs 15-12. to um, It was the first meeting between the two programs in 2013. This year, it'll be the America East champions and the NEC champions facing off. Again, like I mentioned with the um, Drexel and uh, who was it? Drexel and, um, oh gosh, I just mentioned it. Drexel and St. Joseph's. This is another one of those early season non-conference mid-major matchups that definitely want to circle as being a pretty big one there. Um, they play at Dartmouth, which I think will be interesting to see how, more so for, for, for Dartmouth, because like Dartmouth, it, this was a 9-8 to eight game last year for, uh, or in 2020 for Vermont. 9-8 to eight against Dartmouth. This is going to be an interesting, you know, test to see where Vermont has gone, where Dartmouth has gone. Are they still neck and neck after the Big Green not playing last year? So that'll be definitely an interesting one because of how things played out in 2020. Conference-wise, two biggest games here for the Catamounts. April 2nd against UMBC and April 16th at UAlbany. So, so, UMBC, the Catamounts' second conference contest this season, comes against uh, the Retrievers this year, one of only two conference opponents to hand them a loss last season. Uh, the Retrievers took down Vermont 10-8 to in the lone meeting of the season last spring. However... This was one where Vermont three-goal run in the final period put to, to pull within two. Um, they lose 10-8. to eight. They were down 10-5 to five early in the fourth, and they come back there. Um, these are two of the best defenses, not only in the conference, but in the country. Yet zero goals in the final 7-0-5 of the game, expecting a defensive battle there again as well. With Albany, Vermont Albany played each other three times last year. Three times. That's a lot. Like, it's hard to beat someone once. It's hard to beat someone twice. But it is very, very difficult to beat them three times. And Vermont did that last year. Vermont did that. Um, and, and that includes a conference title game. 
These two faced off in the conference title game, 15-10 win over Albany. This is an Albany team. You know, they had a rough patch early last season. Um, you make it to the conference t- title game. And these have really been the two, if you're going to say there's been any top teams in the America East, certainly Albany's been there. They had their run. It maybe has seemed to dip a bit. Albany has, but Vermont has shot up. And so this is really, and this is the last game of the regular season. Uh, excuse me, this is uh, third to last week of the regular season. So we're getting late there. And this is going to be one of the most important conference games, I believe, in the America East to settle who's that one seed, who's that two seed. Because, again, it could come down to both of these teams in the America East title game again this year. So this could be another preview of that AE title game. We're going to take a break real quick, and then we will get on to Delaware's schedule, Binghamton's schedule, and then we have the mailbag coming up soon. All right, we are about 30-some-odd minutes in already, so we're going to kind of zoom through these uh, next two schedules pretty quickly, Delaware and Binghamton. Uh, the, starting here with the Blue Hens, obviously came up short in the CAA semifinals to Hofstra last season, losing ten to nine, and and in a you know had to have a comeback effort there as they were down nine to one at one point or nine to two I believe at one point in that contest. Um, the Blue Hens they opened the season against. NJIT, and then they have another home game, and that's on the 5th, and then on the 12th, they play uh, Mount St. Mary's uh, February 5th, February 12th, uh, should add there. And then really, the you know, a couple big games here, you're at Duke, you're at Michigan, you are at home against Johns Hopkins, and you're at Villanova. Three very, very interesting, intriguing non-conference games, as well as that St. Joseph's one, which uh, <clears throat> the Blue Hens and the Hawks will meet for the third consecutive season. Dola came out on top 16-13 last season um, in a game in which they got off to a hot start, getting up 9-1 to early on. Again, you know, both these teams looking to be competitors, uh, possible champions in their, uh, in their respective conferences. Very, very uh, intriguing early season non-conference matchup. Another one very intriguing game, uh, which will be, uh, it's a, a series returning after <laughs> things getting uh, disrupted last year uh, with this game getting canceled. Uh, we have Delaware at Villanova on March 26th. Uh, the Blue Hens and the Wildcats, they were supposed to open up against each other last season, but the contest was canceled due to, um, again, serial uh, COVID protocols. Um, and with the exception of last season, they've met every year since 2002. So this is a very long standing series here. 
Villanova with a 12-7 lead. And they've won the past three contests with uh, Delaware not getting a victory over the Wildcats since 2017. That was a 13-10 win. So uh, the Blue Hens will be searching for a victory there. And then the, the two biggest CAA games in my mind for this Blue Hens team, April 9th against Hofstra at home. They played Hofstra twice last year. Wins the regular season meeting, and they fall in the conference semifinals. Pride were up 6-2 early in that one, and Delaware comes all the way back. Hofstra goes on a 3-1 run in the final period to put things away and get that one goal win. Hofstra is going to be a, a bit of a rebuilding year for them, but again, it's the CAA, and as we've seen in the past, pretty much anything can happen in that conference um, if you can speak it into existence. On April 23rd, we have what I would say is probably at this moment, probably the game in the CAA, uh, Drexel hosting Delaware. Drexel coming off as the conference champions, as we just mentioned oh, no, a few minutes ago. Delaware coming in, and they saw Drexel last year. So they lost to Drexel 12-9, their only conference loss. Um last season, and they also beat them, though, early on that year, so, and that was a 19-12 to game, 19-12 to win for Delaware, and they come back and they lose 12-9. to That sole loss was also not the only one last year in the conference, but their only loss to the Dragons since 2017. So not only will Delaware want to get back on top of Drexel, but they saw what they did last year. They were sitting at home. Drexel was was hoisting that trophy. Drexel was getting their name called on Selection Sunday, not Delaware. Delaware was sitting there saying, that is where we want to be. That could be us. Frankly, that should be us. They saw that, and you got to think, they're coming in motivated to this season, and they'll be motivated going into that game. Moving on to the Binghamton Bearcats. Uh, This is a team that played an America East-only schedule last year, so uh, literally all of their non-conference opponents are new opponents uh, opposed to last year's schedule. Um, they do play a couple teams they haven't played in a while, um, Princeton being one of them. Um, and then I think Bucknell, either Bucknell or Hofstra, I think is the other one where they haven't played in quite some time. Um, they also play Marist, St. Bonaventure. And, uh, you know, really one of the one of the more intriguing games for me, non-conference-wise, here is on February 26th at Lafayette. 
This is a Lafayette team that, despite not winning a game, and despite not having won a game since the Leopards beat Binghamton 13-12 in 2019, had a solid ending to last season. Um, showed, hey, we might not be too far off of where we want to be. And so, look, they beat Binghamton two years ago. Does their 27-game losing streak end at home against Binghamton? You know, exactly against the team, you know, the last team they beat before they went on this losing streak. So, uh... Should be another tight one there between the two, uh, the Leopards and the Bearcats. The two, I guess, big cats, you you could say. A Bearcat isn't a real animal, is it? It's it's like a nickname for an animal. I don't think there's an actual, don't think you find a Bearcat in the wild. I might be wrong on that, but um, that's what I've heard, so. Leave it at that. Moving on to the... Next key game here, and these are two America East contest. March 26th at home against UMBC. Um, <laughs> interesting scheduling last year. UMBC and Binghamton played twice within a span of five days, I believe it was. Uh, Binghamton goes 8-7 and seven in the first contest, wins that game. Off a game winner, one second left. In overtime, I should add. UMBC comes back, wins the wins the game. Was it three days later, seven to six. So they go one and one against this team last year. And look, Binghamton, like if the, the top, like the top crop in the American East, is pretty similar again this year, or should be. Vermont, Stony Brook, Albany, UMBC. That was your conference tournament. That is what I'm expecting to be again this year. Binghamton, I think, is the only team. Look at Binghamton, look at NJIT. As the only two, or the, the, those next two teams, and UMass Lowell, okay, of Binghamton, NJIT, and UMass Lowell, which one of those three could possibly, you know, pull off an upset and get into that conference tournament? It, it's going to be Binghamton, in in my opinion. And they're going to need a win like that. They're going to need a win against a team like UMBC. They got to at least beat one of those teams. Vermont, Stony Brook, Albany, UMBC. Got to at least beat one. You beat the Retrievers last year. Hey, granted, it was a beat-up. It was a, um, you know, a light <laughs> um, Retrievers team as they had some guys missing on the roster. But, hey, you play who you play. They got the win last year. Could they do it again this year? Only playing them once. Um, the Bearcats also took down Vermont last season. A lot of people forget this. Only one of two conference opponents to take down the eventual America East champions in Vermont last season. Beat them 10-7 to in the second-to-last week of the year. Um, look, 
No point in the Catamounts. The same spot on the schedule this season. And with scheduling returning to normal, you know, the Bearcats, I mean, if they're able to pull off this upset once again, look, we don't have where you're playing teams twice, playing a couple teams twice this year, playing some teams three times this year. We're not going to have that. An upset of that magnitude, an upset of, uh, uh, of that kind, would be much more huge. Would be much more provide much more magnitude and shake up the American East much greater than it did last season. That is it for our scheduling bit here as we looked at. All five schedules that came out this week. Bellarmine, Drexel, Vermont, Delaware, and Binghamton. Now let's move on to the mailbag. The mailbag, which was pretty full when I checked this morning. Again, you can send in your questions to the mailbag via direct message uh, at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Facebook as well, Um, my personal, Twitter, at Tanner underscore Demling. You can also email uh, lacrossebucket at gmail.com, and you can find, uh, send a new question that way as well. This first question, I like this one. This is a bit one where I don't think it's, it's difficult to pinpoint, but I, you know, I, you know, and, and I'm not saying any of this is gonna happen or will happen soon, but um, it's a good little fun off-season talking point. So, question reads: Watching this coaching carousel that we're seeing in college football has got me thinking of what could be in lacrosse this spring. Will there be many moves? And also, with the big moves we've seen recently, Johns Hopkins and Syracuse, what do you think the next big move is? So, I'll answer the first part of this question first, which is, and if y'all have not been watching college football, this coaching carousel is wild. Uh, Florida, LSU, USC, uh, Miami's probably going to be coming open. I mean, you got... So many big-time jobs open right now. Washington, Washington State. I mean, it's ridiculous. A uh, couple have already been filled. I mean, it's going to be probably in the 30s in terms of number of, of coaching openings in uh, just the FBS level of college football this year. It's wild. Virginia Tech, it's wild. There's another one. It's wild. Will the same be said in lacrosse this year with normalcy returning? You know, lacrosse is not football, so we don't, we're not ever going to have a coaching carousel like that. Um, I wish we did. I actually wish we did. It's very fun. Um, fun for the fans. You know, I wish people cared about lacrosse as much as they did football, like, you went, you know, you went five and five, you fired. Get out of here. I mean, I, I really wish we did have that in lacrosse. It, that would be 
and not saying anyone who goes five and five should be fired, but I wish people cared about lacrosse as much as they did football. Um, I'm probably one of the very few people on this earth who who cares about college lacrosse as much as I do about college football. Um, so I don't think we're going to have that big of a carousel um, with double-digit jobs open. We could have a couple. You know, I couldn't really tell you right now what's going to happen. Um, honestly, remember, you had 2020 was a shortened season. Last year was a weird year. So, look, no, nothing was really going to happen except for Syracuse. And then you had the Utah and RMU moves. And, you know, RMU was a domino that fell with Utah. No dominoes fell from Syracuse with Gary Gate just walking over, um, at least on the men's side. I state that for the record. At least on the men's side, no dominoes fell from Syracuse. I know the women's the women's people will come after me for saying that. Um, so, on the men's side, no dominoes fell. In 2020, you had the domino fall with Cornell. They promote after you no know, Petro leaves uh, ways or whatever with Hopkins. Millman comes in. Connor Busick gets elevated and then eventually has his interim tag moved this year at Cornell. So, I don't, like, look, I'm not going to sit here and say we're not going to have any moves. Um, But are we going to have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Um, Look, I think maybe the most we could have is three to five. Like, I don't, like, like, that's pretty normal, I, I would say. Um, unless there's some dominoes that fall from those moves, we could have maybe double digits, but you know, I, I just don't see that, that big of a carousel happening this year. Um, especially after everything that spring sports in particular have gone through the past couple seasons. I, I, I just don't see that much, that many moves being made. Now, in terms of what's the next big, huge move, I think we're going to have to wait a few years for that. I think we're going to have to wait a few years. So this is kind of something that happens on a decade-by-decade basis. You had some pretty big moves in the early 2010s, 2009 to 2010, at Maryland, Penn State, and then it was Cornell. Was that in 2009 or 10? I can't remember the year, but I remember Cornell when DeLuca got that job. And then we also had that 2016 cycle with Wallace Tiffany going to Virginia. And you had Mike Daly going to Brown. And you also had, and this one wasn't, this was a different situation, but Chris Bates in Princeton. And then you had Madelon get elevated there. So we've had some big moves recently outside 2016 is being recent, what I'm talking about, past decade. You had Maryland and Penn State with some big moves back in the early 2010s. And then mid to late 2010s, obviously there was Virginia being the biggest one there. Um, And then since then, Milliman to Johns Hopkins, Gary Gate to Syracuse uh, with Desco stepping down. 
Um, so, you know, we've had some big ones. It's been a bit of a trajectory, been a bit of a slow ride. Michigan is another one I would say. Uh, they're a Big Ten school, obviously. You know, John Paul, uh, you know, getting uh, fired or whatever there. Kevin Connolly coming over, um, starting in 2019. Um, and then, you know, if you want, Navy, Rick Soul, 2019, um, bring in Joe Amplo, Harvard, um, bringing in Jerry Byrne was a big move. And then, look, you could argue Delaware, Bob Schilling Law. I mean, guy had been there for 38 years, uh, retires, and you bring in Ben DeLuca. And I know Delaware is not like a major powerhouse in lacrosse, but they're a team, they're one of the better situated um, mid-majors from a lot of people I talk to with the, you know, possible, with the, with a higher ceiling, with the potential to be pretty dang good. And I think we're seeing that right now. And we've seen it later. Um, the next two big moves, I think, in college lacrosse will, one will come out west and one will come from uh, down south. And yes, I'm talking about Bill Tierney. And I'm talking about John Anowski. Bill Tierney's contract is up in 2024. John Anowski's contract runs through 2023. Now, do I expect John Danowski to retire in 23? Not really. Not really. I would say Bill Tierney would be the next big-time head coach to retire after his contract is up. I'm not saying he's going to. I don't have any inside information on that. But just looking at some of these contracts, I would say probably Bill Tierney's the next big move. Um, and obviously, he's had a phenomenal career. Princeton, Denver, RIT, as an assistant at Hopkins at the high school level. I mean, the guy's one of the greatest coaches in general of all time when you just look at what he's done. So, um,. Yeah, I think we're right now in kind of a, a trend with older coaches, per se. You know, Petro's not really in that mix, but it was it was time to move on um, situation there. Um, you know, Desco, bit of an off-field situation mixed in with that as well, but I, I think it was safe to assume that his time was coming near at Syracuse anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, you'll have Bill Tierney, he'll be 72 when his current contract ends, and you got 22, 23, 24. After this season, 22, he'll have two years left on his contract. Unless they extend that thing to 25, 26, I think he'll probably retire. He'll be 62, he'll be 72. John Donowski, he'll be 69 when his contract expires in 23. You know, I can see him coaching a few more years after that. And honestly, both of these 
situations all where I could see someone being promoted. Matt Brown at Denver. Matt Donowski or Ron Caputo at Duke, you know. Um, could see both of those. Um, the longest tenured head coaches are Kevin Corgan at Notre Dame and Greg Canella at UMass. Both are in the early 60s. I don't see any of those guys stepping down anytime soon. Canella's contract is extended through 2022 at the, at the moment. I'm expecting that we're going to see another extension there, um, whether before the season or after the season. Um, so I don't see him going anywhere. I don't see, you know, Kevin Corrigan, he had his opportunity to come home and go to Virginia. I think he's at Notre Dame for life. Um, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I think both those guys probably – most coaches retire in the late 60s, early 70s. Those guys still got five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years left in coaching there. So, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I don't see any big, big moves being made uh, before, you know, 23, 24, 20, between 23 and 25 is when I would say probably the next big moves. Actually, 24 and 25. I, I don't. I don't see Donowski retiring after 23. I see him coaching a little bit longer. Tierney, I, I could see retiring in 24. Um, you know, maybe Donowski retires in 25, 26. You know, but that kind of range, you know, about a three to five year window is what I would say when the next big move is made. Um, you know, barring some, you know, outstanding circumstance, or extreme circumstance. Um, that isn't known at the moment or, you know, it hasn't happened yet. This next question is scheduling-wise. And um, since, you know, best schedule thus far that has been released and, you know, what's the best strength of schedule? So first of all, I don't calculate strength of schedule. Um, I'm not good at math. I can't do that. Like, like I, I've tried to do it before. Like, like, like I've looked up how to do it, and I've read how to do it, and I've talked to people who can do that. And I've, I, I kind of, I understand it, but it's just, I, I I'm not going to do all that math work, to be honest with you. Um, you know, um, and secondly, with strength of schedule, the Ivy League didn't play last year. How can you? You can't do that. Like strength of schedule this year preseason means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You you can't calculate the strength of schedule with when you have a team on your schedule like Princeton or Hollywood or Yale. You just can't do it. So strength of schedule this year, well yeah, you can do it for like some teams who have who all the all the opponents played last year. It's very difficult. And I, I get it. People are going to do strength of schedule calculations. And you can do it during the season and update it during the season. But in terms of preseason SOS, it's just irrelevant. And frankly, it's just stupid to do. It's just stupid to do this year. Do it 2020, uh, 2023. Don't do it in 2022. That's stupid. Makes no sense. 
terms of toughest schedule right now, um, I mean, I don't think this surprises anyone. Denver and Princeton are the two biggest, or two toughest schedules thus far, I, I would say. Um, you know, you have a Princeton schedule that has has a stretch, and this is a tough, tough stretch here. At Georgetown, at home versus Rutgers, at home versus Princeton, at Yale, at Brown. I mean, that is your March, March 5th through, uh, actually, February 22nd through April 2nd. You start with Maryland, and you end with Brown, who, look, I don't know what Brown's going to be this year, but it's an Ivy League team. They've been tough. Um, but you've got Maryland, Georgetown, Rutgers, Penn, and Yale. Obviously, is those highlighting teams there, and then add Brown in there if you want. Um, but that's a heck of a stretch. That's the, that's one of the that's one of the toughest stretches we've like, like, that we've seen thus far. And then with Denver, you've got at Duke. Two weeks later, at Carolina. You host Yale. You're at Ohio State. Towson could be a good game. You host Georgetown. Villanova could be a good game. I think Princeton's probably a bit tougher just like looking at it on the surface at the moment. But yeah, Princeton and Denver, no doubt, are the toughest schedules at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see some of these uh, ACC Big Ten schedules when they come out. Last question here, because we really got to wrap things up. Any chance you see Army or Navy winning the Patriot League this year? Loyola, Lehigh are the top two teams. Army, Navy, whatever order you want, I would put them uh, as a battle for that third spot. Colgate, you know, I think could be better or be worse than either of those two teams. I think they could play spoiler. So that kind of middle section of the Patriot League would be very interesting to see. Both Army and Navy, I think, could um, and they could both both get there. Um, you know, I don't really see either of them winning the Patriot League, but being competitive um, as usual, no doubt about it. But will they win? I, I I just don't I don't think so. I think they could beat a Lehigh, I think they could beat a Loyola, maybe in the regular season. But I think you know we'll see. We'll see. I I, I just don't see it. I I just don't see it. At the end of the day, you know, we'll see how matchups work out, but at the end of the day I, I just don't see it. Alright, that is it for today's episode. As always, you can find us on social media at lacrosse bucket on twitter instagram and facebook lacrosse